I want to say this about tiny homes. So first of all, the typical classical tiny home shape, which is a kind of a steep gable roof and a loft that you sleep on that you get to up a ladder, is a really bad design. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 130 with Lloyd Kahn. Lloyd Kahn's interview on the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast is the most downloaded episode to date, so I knew I had to have him back on to talk about his wonderful new book, The Half Acre Homestead. We talk about the benefits and limitations to homesteading in the present and future. While Lloyd is a bit dubious about the viability of living in a tiny house long-term, I think that the lifestyle he showcases in the half-acre homestead is readily compatible with tiny house living. Stick around for my conversation with Lloyd Kahn. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that Tiny House Decisions Print Edition is finally here. Yes, you heard that right. If you've been following me for a while, you know that I've been very reluctant to release my signature guide, Tiny House Decisions in print form. It's long, it's in full color, and it's expensive to print and ship. Well, after years of requests from readers, I finally figured it out and I have everything set up and ready to go. The print edition of Tiny House Decisions is a gorgeous, full-color, 85 by 11 paperback that's fit for your desk or coffee table. It can be added on at checkout when you purchase the digital edition of Tiny House Decisions, which is what I recommend. That way, you get the digital guide, which comes with free updates for life, the Tiny House Decisions workbook, and other extras. I'm offering $10 off when you add the print copy onto your order. Shipping is free within the USA. There are less than 10 copies left in the initial run, so head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD to get your copy today. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD. All right, I am here with Lloyd Kahn. Lloyd Kahn is the former shelter editor of the Whole Earth Catalog and editor-in-chief of Shelter Publications. He has published a seminal series of books on building, including Shelter and Tiny Homes, Simple Shelter. Lloyd Kahn's new book, The Half Acre Homestead, documents 46 years of building, gardening, and living with his wife, Leslie Creed. Lloyd Kahn, welcome to the show, or welcome back to the show. Thank you. Did we do this before? We did do this before, maybe a year ago or so. Um, yeah. And you, you were talking about the book. It was in kind of, you were doing the layout at that point. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to have to have you back on to, uh, to talk about it. Yeah. So yeah, it's done. I wanted to start just, how do you define homesteading? Uh, well, like I said in the book, the, we call this the half-acre homestead, but it's not in the sense of a homestead where in the 1800s in America, uh, people were given, I think, uh, they could get like 160 acres by just uh, putting a fence around a piece of land. But homestead in the sense that you're, um, you're uh, in our situation, we built the house and we created a garden so that it's um, building and gardening. 
and um, doing this on a piece of land. You know, the old homesteaders were pretty self-sufficient. And another thing that I say in this book is that we're I, in, in the 70s, Leslie and I tried to be as self-sufficient as possible. We were going to try to make it with uh, small-scale farming. And um, but we found out that you, you you couldn't come anywhere near being near being self-sufficient. I mean, you can't grow your own wheat and you can't fill the cavities in your own teeth, but you can work towards doing as much for yourself as possible. And so that's what we've got here. We have a half acre of land, which is about half of a football field. And uh, on that half acre, we've got a house that we built and various studios including the one that I'm in right now, uh, mostly made out of recycled lumber and a, a big vegetable garden and uh, chickens, fruit trees, um, uh, and uh, a, a workshop, uh, a weaving studio for Leslie. And we kind of go through all this in the book and show, we show the house, the garden, the chickens, the animals that come and visit us. and. Um, we we talk about foraging and just about everything that's part of our daily physical life. Yeah, I I was struck as I was paging through the book that you really kind of were able to include a little bit of everything and that, you know, the reader gets a really good sense of what your lives are like on a day-to-day basis and also kind of on a more grand time scale of just all these things that you've either accumulated or built or, or set up over the years. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and, and, and well, an interesting thing is while I was laying out the book, I would, you know, I, in, in the days when I was working on it on the pages, I mean, the way I, so I, I get an idea to do a book and um, then I just start. It was, it's sort of like one of the things that I learned a long time ago is, um, if you want to, if you're worried about how you're going to accomplish something, and I discovered this when I did did my first building, just start and you'll figure it out as you go along. And so, when I decided to do this book, I mean, after almost fifty years of interviewing other builders and photographing them, this is the first one that I've done on my own work and Leslie's. And so anyway, um, I just started on this book, laying it out two pages at a time. And as I do that, the book sort of takes shape and it and it gets a life of its own. And um, and that's what happened here. So but anyway, during the course of laying out the pages, I would think, well, uh, or I'd be walking in the garden. I'd see a flower or I think I and I take a picture of it or I think, well, I. I forgot to take a picture of this tool, so I'd run out. And, I, and I'm still doing that. I'm still, now the book is over, but I'm going around and uh, taking, if I see something that I think is worth recording, I'll do it. Like right now, in the last week, there's caterpillars in the garden. And um, so we've been photographing caterpillars. So it's kind of a nice, um, you know, it's kind of a nice process to uh, think about what would be, what would be interesting to people. Like, I have an Instagram account, and um, the most, the, the, the second most popular 
post I've ever done, which had like 12,000 likes or 15,000 likes, was a method that Leslie showed me of pouring liquid out of a saucepan. And people were just crazy about that. And so now we're, we're, now we're starting to make little videos of stuff we do around here, of tools. The latest one we did was on a composting tumbler. So it's not just the book, but now we've got, quote, social media, and we're, um, we're making little videos of things, taking pictures of things, and I put them up on, I have a blog and a, an Instagram account. I, I post something on Instagram pretty much every once a day, uh, all related, a lot of them related to our, our homestead here. Yeah, I, I enjoy following both the blog and the Instagram. I've also, uh, I liked your video where you show your dishwashing technique and that actually, you know, you link out to that from the book when you're talking about the design of your kitchen and about how the dishes just go into the rack to dry and that's where they stay, that's where they live. Um, but you also have a great video showing your, your dishwashing technique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a, like a six minute video. And I mean, we had a, uh, in the 70s, we had uh, chickens, bees and goats. And we were trying to make it by selling food. Like uh, we eventually found out that in those years in the, uh, mid seventies, 74, five, uh, people really wouldn't pay for organic food. And we were selling organic goat's milk for a dollar a quart and organic eggs, free range eggs for a dollar a dozen. And, um, uh, what was the third thing? Oh yeah. Uh, honey for a dollar a pound. And we just couldn't make it. We couldn't survive on that. Of course, it's different now, but we did all those things back then. And it's interesting because in those years, you know, like they say the sixties happened in the seventies. That's not completely true because the sixties happened in the sixties and in the seventies. And that means by that, what I mean is that a lot of the ideals of the sixties, like aiming towards self-sufficiency, doing stuff for yourself were carried out in the seventies. And that's kind of what we did here. And, uh, so, you know, and, and, and in those years, it was, it was so easy to get by on so little. I think for several years, we might've had a joint salary of like $300 a month. And we, we were okay with that. Um, things were, and California was, you know, less, much less, less populated then. I mean, California had, um, I, I get together with my high school friends um, twice a year. Now, we're all about 85 years old. And, um, and I'm the kind of the only one who went uh, on a different path. And um, so it, it, it's kind of fun to see those guys and to, um, you know, compare lifestyles and see, you know, what, what we've done. But anyway, so... It you know it, it's been very a lot of fun to show people what we what we've done and what we're doing and it's kind of it's uh, it's sort of ongoing and then also like we've done two printings of this book the Half Acre Homestead and 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 each now if we go back to do a third printing 
I've got new pictures I'm going to put in it. Like I got a photograph a couple of weeks ago of this beautiful flower in the greenhouse that only opens at night and it only does it once a year for a few days. And so I'll, I'll weave that into the book. And uh, so the book will be changing a little bit as, um, as, as uh, we go along. You mentioned before about the kind of iterative process that you take when you create these books. I'm curious, did the book end up in the way that you started it? Like, did it, what it ended up being, did that match what you kind of envisioned when you started on the process or did it kind of end up in a different place? You know, I, I never, I've done maybe 42 books in 50 years and I never have a vision of what the book will be like when it's finished. I know that, I I know that I want to do a book, say, say I, um, the, the book called Builders of the Pacific Coast, which is one of our, we have a, we call it the Shelter Library of Building Books. And it started with shelter in, well, it actually started with books on dome building in the, um, in the uh, uh, early 70s. And um, so anyway, I, and then, so I've got, there's a probably eight or nine books, including shelter and homework and tiny homes and say builders of the Pacific Coast. So I had an idea. I was going to do a book called Builders. And I started out, um, so I went back to Vermont and hung out with these guys in the Green Mountains. Uh, there were some architects there and some very interesting work going on. So I thought, well, they'll be part of the book. And then I had a guy in um, in Telluride, Colorado, a builder there. And so he was going to be another person in the book. Then I went up to British Columbia to see an old friend, Godfrey Stevens. He kept telling me, you've got to come up here and see the carpenters. So when I got up to British Columbia and started going around to the islands up there and shooting pictures, I thought, I, this is a book completely on this place. So at that point, my book on builders in general in the United States turned out to be a book on just builders in this fairly small area. So that turned out a little different than I thought. So then I, what I did is I started gathering material and I went on doing this for a year or two. I'd, I'd take trips up to British Columbia and somebody would say, well, you ought to go see uh, Dean so-and-so out here and I'd go photograph his house. And then, so anyway, I, so I, I got enough material together and what I do is I put the material in file folders in a drawer, hard copies. And then when I get enough material, I start doing the book and I'll pull out a folder of a builder who they built some structures out of driftwood and I'll lay out, I'll lay out, lay it out two pages at a time. So then I'll, I'll do that one. And I, and I do the layout. Maybe we covered this in the last talk that I did. I'll do the layout um, of two page spread at a time. I'll, I'll size the, the photographs uh, on an uh, inexpensive color copy machine, and I'll have the text that I will print out in maybe three and four columns. And then I'll cut things out and put them on the page and tape them down with uh, removable scotch tape until I have a layout. So I'm doing the layout in an analog fashion. And then it goes into the digital realm where my partner, Rick, takes it and prepares it for the printer. So 
I, I'll go along and I'll do one builder at a time, two pages at a time. And then pretty soon the book will start to take a shape and I'll start to organize it. I'll organize it by region or by the type of building. So this book, getting back to your question, this book, again, I didn't really know what it was going to be like. I just knew that I was going to do a book on, and people said, I, you know, we should do this. And somewhere in maybe two-thirds of the way through the process, I then I got a vision of what the book was going to be. And when it was finished, especially with this book, I looked at it and and I thought, oh, this is this is pretty good. You know, this is this is okay. And so it, it, it's a it's a it's this wonderful process of um and I and I like the same process happened when I, I learned this methodology when I first started building and um I was I was like twenty five years old, twenty six uh in Mill Valley, California, and a friend came out and I had plans that an architect had drawn up, but I didn't really have much building experience. And so we had the plans and we went out in the evening after I got off work and as an insurance broker in San Francisco. And I said, well, what do we do, Bob? And he picked up a shovel and he said this, and he started digging the foundations. And so I, I kind of done that all my life is that I start something, you know, without a clear idea of how I'm going to do it or how it will turn out. And as I go along, you know, um, it, 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 with building, I learned as I went along. And so anyway, that's the way I do books. And it, it's pretty time consuming, but it ends up being sort of organic uh, in a sense. Yeah. And it, it, it really, you can tell because the book really flows. Like I found that once I started paging through it, I just didn't want to stop. I I just wanted to see what was going to be on the next page and how it it all flows together from, you know, kitchen to cooking, from cooking to gardening. I was curious if there was anything in Half Acre Homestead that that really has resonated with people that that maybe surprised you, kind of like that video about, you know, holding the heavy saucepan surprised you. Is there anything in in Half Acre that you were surprised that people really kind of latched onto? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised by the, um, reaction it's gotten from people, how, how much people love it. And, uh, I mean, this hasn't translated into major sales. I mean, it's selling moderately. I, I mean, I wish more people knew about it, but I, I'm surprised how many people just tend to love it and how many people say that they sat down and read it straight through. And um, I, I have a whole, you know, I have a folder full of, of feedback from people, from all kinds of people, from one guy that I used to be, a, um, that I used to work with on, on geodesic domes, and he's become one of the most um, well-known architects in urban design in the, in the world, really. And, and he just loved the book. And so, so anyway, that's been kind of a, a surprise that the reaction has been so um, positive to the book that, that 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 many people can relate to it, and I you know and like I I have a um, I have a mailing list. I do a newsletter called Gimme Shelter, and um, if anybody wants, to, I send this this out 
So, so, okay, I do social media, and the main things I do are Instagram and a blog. I'm not so sure how many people read blogs these days, but I know people do, and Instagram is really popular. So I do those two things, and then everything I put up on my blog goes on to Twitter and to Facebook, which Facebook is the one thing which I never have really liked all that much, but I have sort of a presence there. So. So I'm doing those things. I, you know, those are means of communication, other than creating books. And um, the whole publishing world and business right now is sort of in a, in a, um, in, in a different phase than it ever was before. So I mean, we're trying to figure out. We we have a hub here of uh, communication among like-minded people, and so. Um, but we're 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 trying to figure out, you know, where do we go from here? And and I kind of change my mind about things pretty frequently. And one of the changes in mind that I one of, one of the, the ideas that wasn't new, but that kind of has resurfaced with me is the, ne- the next book that we do, the next building book we do might be. It, it's, we started on it and then start and then kind of postponed it for a while. Uh, called "Hit the Road Jack," and uh, on um, and I'm thinking of a subtitle being like "Homes on Wheels" or "Shelter on Wheels," and it would be a, a book on on vans and campers and house buses and you know the what because so many people are interested nowadays in and uh, and and even of necessity in in living in their their vehicles so. That might be the next thing we do. And again, we'll just start gathering material, you know, putting it in folders. And and uh, and then once we get a, 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 enough of a body of work, start doing the layout. And then, then we'll see. Nice. That, I think, you know, will be very timely because that, that really is exploding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting, you know, putting stuff up on Instagram is... Um, it's interesting to see what gets reaction among people. And what I'm finding, like I put up, a, I have in the past put up a lot of things like a caterpillar or um, a, a, a opium poppies in the garden or just things around here. And that people are kind of interested or a picture of a chicken, a really beautiful chicken. But the things that really get uh, the interest of a lot of people I've found is, are my posts of buildings. And so I have, say like I've got eight books that I've done books on building that each have about a thousand photographs in them. So I've got like 8,000 photographs to choose from. So I'll like the last blog post I did. And I think I also did the Instagram post was a beautiful little building in the French Pyrenees. And uh, so I'm starting to switch over on Instagram to more photos of, of a building and, uh, and, and nomadic homes. And things like that. So uh, that's an interesting thing. But uh, you know, I'm like, I'm 85 years old, and um, and my my readership on um, Instagram is the bulk of it is uh, people 25 to 45 years of age. And I'm actually getting now. It was usually up till recently. It was about 80 percent, 85 percent male. And now I'm up to maybe 35% female, which I, you know, hope continues to, you know, I can, can continue to get more 
well, women to uh, read about what we're doing. Yeah. Well, one thing that you mentioned before, just about where you're sitting right now, you know, a studio building. And I think that that concept, you know, also resonates with, with my audience who are primarily interested in, in tiny homes and particularly tiny houses on wheels. Um, but in the classic, the classic tiny house on wheels, you know, stick framed kind of thing. But the idea that, you know, when you need more space, you don't buy a new home. You, you know, you can add a building, you can add an outbuilding that serves those needs rather than some people might say, I need a bigger house. I need to, you know, sell this house and get a bigger one because now I need to have a home office or now I need another bedroom for another kid. I'm curious, you know, how do you think about that and what advice do you have to people around like when their needs expand on a homestead or in a tiny house? Well, if they own the land and the home, I mean, what we said in Shelter, which was 1973, that was the, well, it wasn't the original book on tiny homes. The book on tiny, called Tiny Houses by Lester Walker. I, I don't know if it, it was probably done after Shelter, but that was, kind of the still to me the classic book on we call our book tiny homes rather than tiny houses because i think that a home is more than a house i mean a house is a physical object but a home has connotations of uh you know being able to stay warm at night and a nice place to eat and a in our aesthetic a place that feels good to be around and so um that uh, uh but but tiny homes. So, so if you if you own your place, no, no. What, we, what I'll get back to in shelter, we said build something. If you have a piece of land, build something small to start with. Get your. I mean, actually, what I would do now, I would tell people, uh, um, get um, build a shop. Maybe the first thing you do, so you have a place to work. Then build something small with an eye to being able to expand it. And have your have your kitchen and your bathroom there, maybe back to back, for the uh, convenience of plumbing, all in the same place. But have a place that you can eat and sleep and live while you then extend the 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 house. Today's episode is sponsored by Precision Temp. Let's face it: most tiny house dwellers want their homes to be small but not uncomfortable. That means reliable, unlimited hot water. Precision Temp's propane-fired hot water heaters reliably provide unlimited hot water, and they're specifically designed with tiny homes in mind. In fact, the NSP 550 model was installed in my own tiny home, and the reason I chose it was because it did not require a large hole in the side of my home like other RV hot water heaters. Instead, it mounts discreetly through the floor of the tiny house and works quietly and reliably. With their patented Very Flame technology, these are the only gas-fired tankless water heaters approved by RVIA and are ANS certified. Features such as cold weather and wind protection, precise electronic temperature control, and onboard diagnostics are standard. With higher efficiency and 55,000 BTUs of power, these units produce far more hot water than traditional water heaters. And since they don't come on unless you want hot water or to protect against freezing, you may find that you use as little as half the propane or natural gas as before. So go ahead and take that long hot shower. 
Precision Temp is offering listeners of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast $100 off plus free shipping using the coupon code THLP. Head over to precisiontemp.com and use the coupon code THLP for $100 off any order plus free shipping. That website again is precisiontemp.com, coupon code THLP. Thank you so much to Precision Temp for sponsoring our show. Tiny Homes. Tiny Homes is a bit of a gimmick in a way. Um, Tiny Houses. Um, We did the book Tiny Homes, I don't know, four or five years ago. We kind of did it at exactly the right time. And it's a really popular book. It's a good book. And it has sold like 90,000 copies. Okay. Then we did a the book Tiny Homes on the Move, which was wheels and water, you know, um, vans, campers, pickup trucks, uh, house buses, sailboats, and houseboats. Then we did a book called Small Homes. Okay, Small Homes, about two years, three years ago. Small Homes is a way better book than Tiny Homes, much more practical, and it has sold about 8,000 copies. So. Tiny Homes, as I say, is a bit of a gimmick. There are a lot of TV shows on Tiny Homes, and most of them are phony. They, they're not real. They, they're, they're looking for kind of like a reality show. And so I want to say this about Tiny Homes. So first of all, the typical classical Tiny Home shape, which is a kind of a steep gable roof and a loft that you sleep on that you get to up a ladder, is a really bad design. To me, they're claustrophobic. Uh, getting to bed up a ladder, especially for older people, is not a very good design. And so I've come to the conclusion that a tiny house with a curved roof, like a gypsy wagon or a bardo, is a much more um, welcoming space. And um, so that's one thing of the design of tiny homes. And then the other thing is, um, uh, people put them on wheels, and unless you're going to be moving frequently, I wouldn't put them on wheels. I'd put them on a trailer, on a on a you know a place where you can, if you want to move it, you rent a you rent a flatbed, uh, you rent a, a trailer, jack it up, and and then move it. Because most most tiny homes, you know, they build them on the. It's kind of expensive. You build it on wheels, and then they don't go anywhere. They just sit in the backyard. So there's some things about tiny homes that I think are, you know, but the media loves them. They, they, the really good thing about tiny homes is that it's going in the direction of being smaller rather than being larger. But the idea that two people are going to live in a 200 square foot space and still get along is, you know, not many people, you know, so, so anyway, there, there are, I have, reservations about the whole uh, tiny homes movement and 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 what's much more realistic is that you have more space than that but that if you're a, a single person i mean in a lot of cases the tiny homes are are really a, a, a wonderful thing and people get the concept we you know we did um i don't know if i sent you these the, we did these little miniature books oh yeah they're like two by two inches and the in, the great thing about those little books is that I think they're like 64 pages, and uh, 
they're really unique because of the printing job. They're 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 perfectly printed uh, miniatures. Children take that book. Uh, if kids get it. They get that little book. And like I had a three-year-old girl with curly hair, blonde hair, standing on the street in San Francisco with one of those mini books, and she went through every page. And so time after time, when we've printed 35,000 of them, but children get it. So anyway, there's, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not really, you know, doing another book on tiny homes, but I just, I, I sort of liked it. And an, another thing, maybe it, it's getting into the pet peeve or, you know, a cantankerous or curmudgeonly area here, but um, uh, A-frame. I think A-frames are a terrible design. They're getting super popular again. I know. I mean, cabin porn, I don't, they love A-frames. It's a really bad space, and um, it's claustrophobic, and you have all that wasted space. I mean, it, it, I, I take an A-frame and raise it up and put it on top of an eight-foot walls, and then you've got a steep gable roof. But, you know, you can't fit things into those corners. Anyway, the, the, there are, are those things where, you know, that I, I do. I, I was even going to write something about, look, here's, you know, here are some things that I think need that have to be said about uh, tiny homes, including, including the, the, you know, the TV shows. Right. I, I agree that the TV shows are, are pretty phony, but I think one thing that, that you're maybe overlooking in that position is that the, you know, the house on wheels allows the occupant to basically buy or build the house disconnected from the land. So that might be the, the, the only way that they can own a home. And then the other thing is that what I'm seeing is, you know, a lot of people, there are a lot of baby boomers who are interested in these tiny houses on wheels as a, as a way of retiring, as a way of, of downsizing. Yeah. And, and they want to live in community. Like they don't, I mean, I'm making a gen- generalizations here, but there are a lot of these tiny house communities popping up where, you know, it's six, 10, 20 tiny houses, you know, sharing utilities and on one property. And, um, you know, I think that when you do it that way, they're, they're maybe, they are a little more viable as a long-term living solution. Yeah, well, um one person told me that he uh, what he liked about being on wheels was that he could, if he got into a disagreement with his landlord, he could move. And uh, but again, I think it, 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 it all depends on the individual circumstances. If I if I have a good friend or my brother says, okay, you can you can build a tiny home on my property, I would probably not put it on wheels uh, because I'm going to leave it there for years. I'd build it and I would. Have it be, you know, I build it with the idea that I'm going to put some girders underneath it, jack it up, and put it on a trailer and move it if I have to. So, anyway, I'm just saying that that's just something to consider whether you really do need to have a trailer. If it's going to sit for years, sure. You don't really need it to be on wheels. I agree. But, but then there is the, you know, because I think you can, you can move the thing if, it, if it's not on a trailer, you, you can move it. There are all these things that, you know, kind of like, that I, for example, I change my mind about things based on what I learn as I go along. And for example, 
I built geodesic domes for five years, uh, starting in the 60s. And after um, building my own domes and working at a, quote, alternative high school, boarding school, and building 17 geodesic domes there, I came to the conclusion that domes didn't work. And by that time, we had published Dome Book 2, which had sold 160,000 copies. So when you have to admit that you're wrong in front of that many people, I mean, one of the good things that it did was for the rest of my life, ever since then, I have not been, <coughs> it's no deep, big deal for me to say I was wrong. I was wrong, and, and here's where I was wrong. And so in that situation, we took Dome Book 2 out of print. And because I had an audience of maybe a quarter of a million people, and because everybody in the counterculture back in those years in the 60s, 70s, thought that domes were a new and better way to build, I thought, I better show these people all the other methods of building in the world, including a history of building. And so that's when we did shelter uh, in 1973. But it was, you know, so the same thing with tiny homes after sort of you know, when we did the book, some people were saying I was the originator or one of the original. I wasn't really, you know, but um, after uh, uh, dealing in the tiny homes world for quite a while, I did see these, uh, I did have these reservations. And, you know, but as I said, it's, I say to, you know, I've said this, that the important thing is to be getting smaller and not that, not that you and your loved one are going to necessarily get along in a really tiny space. I mean, maybe, and I do know people that have this situation, each person has their own tiny home. And then you can get together, but you can, you know, you can get so. But, you know, sure, the, the idea is a wonderful one. And the tiny homes movement came about at a time when everything was getting bigger and bigger and bigger all the time. And especially uh, in the Bay Area here. And bigger means more you know, more expensive and more uh, cubic footage to heat and cool. So, um, you know, so uh, uh, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good movement all in all. Well, something that I, I appreciate in your book is kind of that you're very transparent and honest in, you know, your treatment of the question, can you do this nowadays? Kind of like, you're showing everything yeah. that you've done and then you're being honest, like what would it take financially? Would this even be possible in, in present times? Um, maybe you could say, say a bit more about that topic. Well, it, just, it depends on whether you're going to have to deal with the planning department, the building department. And I think that the, the closer you get to a major city, the more difficult it is. And you can't do... In Marin County, which is north of San Francisco, across the Golden Gate Bridge, very wealthy county, one of the richest counties in the country, things have tightened up so much that it's really, you know, people do stuff under the radar. But if you get, if you, if you, if you get, I think if you get maybe, you have to get maybe an hour and a half or two hours away from a cool city, San Francisco. You know, New York, um, Austin, uh, Portland, uh, uh, Seattle, you know, these places, L.A., the places that everybody wants to live. You've got to get a fair distance. 
now, okay, my building permit where I live now was um, in 1972 was $200. Um, I was my own engineer and my own architect. That was all okay. Uh, I built the, the building out of uh, used, it was a lot of used lumber and used doors and windows. Now, in the same area, the building permits are over $50,000. Uh, and fifty thousand so, just for a building permit. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, because the, home, the homes are a million dollars, and and the the you know the permits are what five percent of that. So it's impossible for anybody but other than millionaires to build where I live now or in the San Francisco Bay Area. So you have to get out farther away from the cities, and then when you do that, when you get away from the onerous building code. And, and and also, they're requiring you to put in sprinklers, okay, which costs maybe forty thousand dollars in a home, which is really overkill. You know, sprinklers, okay, in a restaurant that's likely to have grease fires or hotels, sure, they make sense. But to make every home, so the the bureaucrats, bureaucrats beget more bureaucracy, and so the bureaucrats have made things so difficult and. And the other thing about, again, I don't want to get on a rant here, but let me rant a little bit. Go for it. The bureaucrats, the, the, uh, the, um, the, the building inspectors and the health department in my county, and I think in much of the country, they are not financed by the county. They're financed by fees. So the more they can charge you, uh, say, for a septic system, um, the, the, the higher are their fees. And, you know, and you're talking about their pension plans and their medical plans. So what's happened with septic systems, instead of like a, a septic system, my septic system, which was installed over 50 years ago, was about $3,000. Now, around here, the septic systems are upwards of $50,000. So if you can get away from that, you know, if you can get out into the, you know, get out in the, you know, wherever it is, then you're a lot freer to do what you want. But the other thing is, is that back in the 60s and 70s, where the ideal was to have your own piece of land and to build a house, maybe a log cabin or an adobe building in the desert or something, I think that if I were a young person nowadays, I would look in the cities and towns for an old house that was maybe a little bit run down. Maybe you find a neighborhood where they just kicked out the crack dealers. And there's a bunch of houses there. So you buy an old house and you fix it up because you have already got your water, sewage, and power there. You don't have to start from scratch. So that's one thing that I would, you know, do if I were young now. And then the other thing would be to just, um, uh, you know, uh, in, 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 like, like in, in our book, Small Homes, a couple bought a place in Los Angeles for like $200,000. It was in a nice had a nice view of LA and, you know, in a place where homes were selling for a million dollars and they, they fixed it up. And so they circumvented the high prices in LA by doing that. And then another situation in San Francisco, two families bought a house, converted it into a duplex, which was, they did legally in San Francisco. So there you have cut in half the price of a home. So in other words, there are these other things you can do, and tiny homes being one of them, um, 
uh, rather than the idea of a homestead uh, nowadays. Yeah. Uh, I mean, tiny, tiny homes are running into the same expensive problems where, particularly with water, you know, when you have a tiny home and you're like, oh, I'm going to just park in my friend's backyard in a city, you know, they might say, you know, you're exceeding the amount of water that can come from this parcel and you need to upgrade the pipe that goes from the house to the sep to the uh, sewers. And you can end up spending more on a septic system or a sewer hookup than you did on the tiny house. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, and that's true. I mean, I mean, it is, it is, um, it's true that as, as you, as you put more of a load on the septic system, uh, it, it, it could get to the point where you are, are overloading the septic system. Uh, and, um, and that's another thing about tiny homes. What are you going to do about water, power, and sewage? And usually, you know, if, if um, you, you know, there's a book called, uh, it's by Michael Litchfield. It's called um, Granny Flats, Outlaws, Granny Flats. It's a book on basically on putting a small home in your backyard for your mom, who's uh, 93 years old, and it's going to cost $70,000 a year to put her in a, a care facility. So you build a place in your backyard for her, or you've got your, you know, your uh, 22-year-old son is home from college, and you don't want to have him living in the house with you, so you build something in the backyard. And anyway, Mike Litchfield's book uh, uh, has maybe a dozen instances of where this has been done. And, and this led years ago to different cities, including um, Portland, of Vancouver, of all places, the most ex- one of the most expensive places in the world, and um, Santa Cruz, to relax the requirements for a second building on your property in order to provide low-cost housing. And so, I mean, I think this is a great thing. And then, and and you, and you, and then, but then you do, then you, if you're building a place in your backyard, you do have. Uh, the utilities there, and if again, if the officials are trying to help out in, 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 in to promote affordable housing, they'll they'll go along with it, and they'll say, for example, that you don't have to you don't have to uh, meet all the requirements of a new home, and so then that way they facilitate you know, creating uh, a, a affordable housing. And it can be a tiny home or it could be a small home, you know. Yeah, I think that if your your goal is to grow food and have chickens and, you know, have that space, all all those kinds of things take space. And so I think that the idea of buying an old home that maybe has a little bit of land where you can do those kinds of things is is great advice. Sure. Yeah. There's a section in the book and, and, you know, I want to say to anyone listening that it's a wonderful book and I, I definitely recommend grabbing a copy because it's just, it's so immersive and it's just inspiring. It, like it made me want to do a new project to build, you know, build a piece of furniture. You kind of mentioned why buy new when you can build and, you know, it made me realize, oh, I, I need to build a new set of cubbies for our front door area. Like, why would I? 
why would I go to Ikea or Amazon when I can just, you know, do it myself? But there's a section there, um, which is a letter that you wrote, you know, to people whose houses were destroyed in the, uh, the Santa Rosa fire. Um, and it's called advice to someone building a home. Um, and I, I just think it's great that you cover so much in this book and maybe you can talk a little bit about what your advice is kind of, you know, if you were going to build a home today from scratch, how you would approach it. Well, that's, that's kind of one of my fantasies. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get to do it at my age. And I, well, I, I mean, I could do it, but, um, it, it just isn't, you know, I'm, we're set here and we have our lives and I have my work, so I'm not going to start out all over again. But if I did, I would, uh, and, and, uh, I kind of put it together in this letter. I, I said, you know, here are some of the things that I would do. First of all, if I'm building, if I'm building a house from scratch, I would try to maybe spend a year on the property, maybe get an Airstream trailer or at least to observe which way the winds come from and where's the sun. And so I would know where to site the place. And then I would say, um, maybe build a shop first, because that's going to be the heart of your, you know, construction. And then get, you know, and, and, and maybe, maybe, I mean, the Airstream is, is a, a kind of a an obvious choice to have your uh, cooking and sleeping and bathroom all in one little compact area. But and maybe you live there while you build the house, and then, like I said, you build something small and start out with and get your kitchen and bathroom back to back for the purpose of plumbing, and then you'd have a um, you would have a, um, a, 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 a say wood heat, and you have a, a, a hot water heater coil in your wood stove so that during the winter time, whenever you have a fire, you're producing hot water. Then I would have solar panels on the roof so that I would be heating the water in the warm months with the sunshine. So I'd have all that together. I would orient the house with the kitchen facing south and outside. Uh, I would have the, the garden and I would have a low floor. I would build a concrete slab with a wood floor on top of it so I would be low down so you could step outside and you'd have I'd have a, a you know a, a barbecue and a sink and tables right outside the kitchen with maybe a roof over them so that you could spend a lot of time outside you know in the summertime you could eat out there cook out there and uh, then I so I just go through all these things of um, um, okay so for your siding um, I might use Hardy Board, which is a um, a product that's made it's out of it's made out of recycled some kind of recycled material plus concrete. And I would, you know, consider having the house be two stories with vents so that the heat in the bottom could be naturally go upstairs. And so lots of things like that that I would do if I had the chance to do it over again. I mean, my place here was built, you know, without any, well, kind of the way I do books, without any grand plan. And actually, the books turned out better than this place in the sense of being logical, uh, you know, because like right now, I don't have, I don't have solar hot water in this house. I do have an outdoor solar shower, but so there are a lot of things that I would do differently. And so it's like, I'm just saying, okay, 
here is my experience. And, and, and I wish that somebody had, you know, I wish I had been able to read this letter when I was starting out, you know, like 60 years ago. And, uh, so that was kind of, yeah, that was kind of a, a, of a good thing to, uh, be able to do. Yeah. Well, it's just another, another thing that people have to look forward to when they, when they pick up a copy of the half acre homestead. Um, and I do, I do anticipate sharing this book with people just because it, there's a little bit for everyone in here, you know, from bread making to, uh, skinning roadkill and collecting pelts. Uh, l- let me give you the shameless commerce uh, pitch here. All right. Uh, you can buy this book on our website, which is shelterpub.com. Uh, and we have a discount of 30% for two or more books with free shipping. So we're, we're cheaper than Amazon. And, um, and we also have a, a, a policy of if for any reason anybody doesn't like a book, we'll give them their money back if they just call us up and they don't even have to return the book mm-hmm. because I'm not sure of the, you know, so anyway, we've been selling a lot of books, um, by mail order and we get the orders out within a day or two, uh, since the COVID thing has happened. And, uh, and the other thing is this book is really a good thing for people who have to stay at home because here are all these things you can do at home instead of sitting around and getting depressed, you know, build a table or, uh, enlarge this room or do some painting or uh, knit a sweater uh, or uh, uh, grow some chives on your fire escape in New York City. You know, but here's a hundred things that you can do while you are at home, because this is a book about everything in this book was done at home. Yeah, that I know that's a great shameless plug. And I think I think we'll just leave it there. I okay. You know, while you're at it, pick up a copy of of small homes or or tiny homes, and there you go, thirty percent off and and free shipping. Uh, Lloyd Kahn. And you know, one last thing: Builders of the Pacific Coast is, in a way, I think the best book that I've ever done. I mean, Shelter is in a category by itself, but Builders of the Pacific Coast is really something special. Uh, anyway, yeah. I agree. That one, it's there's some magic in that one. Some really enchanting poems there. Okay. Lloyd Kahn, thank you so much for your time. Um glad we got to do it, and I look forward to having you on for the next book, Hit the Road Jack. So now now you have to do it. Yeah, okay. And and send me a link or something to where people I can tell people to listen to this. We'll do. We'll do. Thank you so much to Lloyd Kahn for being a guest on the show. You can find photos from Lloyd's Half Acre Homestead, as well as some of my favorite spreads at thetinyhouse.net slash 130. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 130. Also, thank you so much to Precision Temp for sponsoring our show today. Don't forget to check them out at precisiontemp.com and use the coupon code THLP for $100 off any order plus free shipping. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.